Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. So we're going to continue this uh, session, this theme series. Thank you, dear. My prompt is on the front row. Um, this series on together. And uh, so we talked about being together in God, together in church, together in family. So my theme that my message that Pastor Tony asked me to do was together we serve. And I thought, oh, that's great. You've been giving him all, you know, he and Pastor Patsy took all the nice things together in family, together in church. And now I've got to do the serving thing. So I get the whip out. Okay, you guys. Now, this is not a recruiting drive for people to join service teams. All right. However, if the Spirit of God moves on you, and you've, if, if the Spirit of God moves on you and you sort of feel like you'd like to join a service team, please go out to the hub. But we're not doing this. Actually, when I pray, I asked the Lord about it because I know that when you talk about serving, you could go a hundred different ways. And the Lord put something in my heart for you as my church family. And, uh, and I'm ministering this to you, not just because it's knowledge to me. I've actually walked, this, walked through this. It's revelation to me. And um, I thank God for his word and uh, how he puts things, if, everything into perspective. So we're going to have a look today at serving, serving God and serving in the body. And, uh, you know, when, when James and I were growing up, and I'm sure those of you who are on this side of 50, which is the greater side of 50, not the lesser side of 50. Um, you, when we grew up, everybody served. You always, it's particularly in, in the church, you, everybody served. That was just the way you did it. It's what you do. And, and you, you sort of, you don't live for yourself. You, you give, give, give. Well, you know, I found out uh, in working with young people, and, I, and I, as I said in the earlier service, I don't say this, oh, people these, young people these days. No, actually, I, I work with young people, and I have found in working with young people that they don't like to be used. Um, and many young people are thinking, well, and when I say young, anybody who's younger than me, um, which is probably about 75%, oh, no, actually not of this congregation, but anyway... Um, it, it, <laughs> Put my foot in my other foot in the mouth. Um, it, and, and a lot of younger people have decided that they don't want to be used by other people. And I'm going to live for myself. All right? I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to take care of myself because if I don't take care of myself, there's nobody else to take care of. So I'm going to live for myself and I'm going to please myself and make sure number one is catered for. Well, in fact, I don't think that that's. That's just significant for people who are younger. I think everybody's got that streak in them somewhere. But what I have found is that young people today actually want a purpose. Um, And in fact, if you're over 50, you probably want a purpose too. Everybody needs purpose. But nobody likes to be abused or used. And so the thing is, how do we actually then serve without feeling like we're being used and abused? But the fact is that... Everybody, every human was designed to serve someone. You cannot just live by yourself. And we see in, in um, Joshua 24:15, Joshua says, "Now then, Joshua continued, honor the Lord and serve him sincerely and serve only the Lord." So that sounds like, you know, okay, you guys, get your act together and serve God. 
But it's interesting in the next, in the next sentence, he says, if you are not willing to serve him, decide today whom you will serve. Do you know what that, the, there's an underlying message there that says, actually, everybody serves somebody. Everyone, if you don't serve God, you're probably going to serve the devil. Because if you think you're just serving yourself, you actually serve your flesh and um, you serve the devil. So choose who you're going to serve today. Are you going to serve another person? Are you going to serve a worthy cause? Are you going to serve yourself? My recommendation, as Joshua has said, is serve the Lord because he's a very kind master. He is love personified and he has your best interests at heart. And if you trust him, you will want to serve him. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to look at five different reasons why we serve God. All right. So the Apostle Paul, he called himself a bond servant. Well, what a bond servant was in, in the New Testament times was if, a, if someone was a servant or a slave and they were given their freedom, they would choose to not take their freedom, but they would choose to stay with their master. And they usually did that because their master was kind and they knew, you know, you get your, you get your three meals a day and everything's cool. You know, you stay with your, with your servant, with your master, who's a good master. Well, Paul called himself a bond servant. He was set free. He was made liberated, but he chose to serve God. You know, we're all born into the family, and you're all a child of God. You're just a child of God. You're born into the family. You're a child of God. But do you know it takes a, a humble person, a humble child, to say, I will serve my father. You know, a child, when they're born, say their father's a businessman and a child is born into the family and they can, you know, they will inherit their father's goods and everything. But as the child grows up, eventually many children will take on their father's business. And that's being a bond servant. It's wonderful to enjoy the benefits of being a child of God, but you know, there are even greater benefits when you choose to serve him and take on his business. So Paul called himself a a bond servant. That word is doulos, devoted to one another, to another, to the disregard of one's own interests. You know, when you lay down your own interests to serve God, He will always take care of you and take care of you a lot better than what you could take care of yourself. And so, in Romans 12, verse 1, there's scripture there in the uh, God's Word translation says, Brothers and sisters, in view of all we have just shared about God's compassion, think of all that we've just sung about, about God himself, not his, his son not sparing, sent him to die. In view of all of those mercies, Paul writes, he says, I encourage you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices dedicated to God and pleasing to him. This kind of worship is appropriate for you. In fact, in the, in the um, King James, I said, this is, it says, this is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable. If he saved you, it's only reasonable that you serve him. I don't know how many of you have seen Toy Story. You want to put that next slide up? Do you remember Toy Story? How many of you? Come on, you've watched it with your grandkids. These little alien guys, I think Buzz Lightyear saves them, and then they become, they hound him for the rest of his life. You saved our lives, we're eternally grateful. You saved our lives, we're eternally... How many of you remember that? 
Nobody? Yes, thank you. Some people have seen it. And these little guys chase Buzz Lightyear around all the time saying, you've saved our lives. We're eternally grateful. Well, isn't that just like us with God? He's saved our lives. We're eternally grateful. We owe him. We owe him. You know, in 1 Corinthians 7, 23, uh, we haven't got it on the screen, but I'll read it to you. It says, God bought you for a price. So do not become slaves of people. Do you know, if you're not a slave of, a, of another person and a slave of God, a bondservant of God, you're set free from having to please other people. Is, that ought to be good news. Yes, yeah. I'm thankful. I'm, Noah. I'm not another man's servant. I'm God's. I'm answerable to him only. And he's a kind master. Praise the Lord. Okay. So the second point, the reason why we serve is it gives us personal purpose. You know, um, I have to admit, and probably you are too, um, I'm a little bit ambitious. I, I really would like to achieve things. I don't like to just slack off and do nothing. You know, all of us have a sense of purpose and we want to be achievers, isn't it? I mean, that's only right. It's only good that we want to achieve. But, you know, when you serve God and you submit under his hand, the Bible says in, in Peter that he will exalt you. If you submit to him, he will exalt you. So there's no better way to achieve your personal purpose than to serve God because he can exalt you far better and far greater than any other human being can and even you can do yourself. The Bible says in, in Mark 9.35, it says, He sat down and called the twelve apostles and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Isn't that interesting? I thought if you want to be first, you've actually got to be the leader of all. Wouldn't you like, you know, if I'm going to be first, I've got to have more education and more skill and more ability and actually have more people under me. But that's not what Jesus says. If you want to be first, if you want to be great, you actually must be the servant of all. I think Pastor Tony preached a message some time ago and he called it an upside down kingdom. You know, it actually is upside down. In fact, it's not upside down. It's the way that God made it to be. To be servant of all, for you to be great, for you to achieve your purpose. If you desire to be great, Jesus said, if any of you desire to be great, let him be your servant. And if you want to desire to be first, you shall be servant of all. Servant of all. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Do you know... Um, there are two, two elements at play in a human life. And, you know, I've done a little bit of study in, in what motivates people, and they're two driving factors. The first one is egotistic. It means that, you know, ego, your own self. You want to achieve for yourself. You're very selfish in what you do, taking care of yourself. The second one is altruistic, which means in every human being, there is a desire to, be, to help other people. Um, you know, you've seen on, on TV that sometimes uh, people who do extraordinary things um, and they're just ordinary people. I think the funniest one I ever saw was the guy that ran out in his boxer shorts to chase someone who, who just slammed into a, a supermarket. Do you remember that guy? Oh, anyway, he was so funny. Just this ordinary common guy who just did something extraordinary. And they said, you're a hero. And he said, no, I'm just being 
who I am. I'm, anybody would have done it. And probably right. Faced with a situation like that, you know, if you see, see men who run into burning buildings, I, I use the example of people who run into burning buildings to save little kittens, and Karen said that wasn't a very good example. So <laughs> I say, people that run into burning buildings to save little children. <laughs> That's better than saving kittens. Yeah, or dogs, you know. And they, they do these wonderful acts of heroism when their own lives are at stake. Well, God put it into you as a human. That yes, you have personal drive and ambition, but you also have a desire to serve other people. You know, um, there was a story uh, about um, Abraham Lincoln who was walking somewhere one day and he came across some little piglets that were drowning. And so he went and saved the piglets and brought them out of the water. And uh, his friend said to him, oh, you're a hero saving little piglets from drowning. He says, oh, no, that was entirely selfish because I couldn't bear the thought all day of these little piglets drowning. Well, is it egotistic or is it altruistic? Who knows? But there's always this play in a human to help other people and to have a sense of purpose. But you know, Pastor Tony said a couple of weeks ago that when you're born again, God puts the assignment in your heart. Every human being has, has a desire to help and a desire to achieve. But when you're born again, God puts something into your heart that's greater than you could have ever thought of for yourself. You know, when I was 12 years old, I had an encounter with God. I was born again much earlier, but I had a real encounter with God when I was 12, and I was going to serve him for the rest of my days. I was going to be a missionary and, and go to the world and perhaps even be the next Billy Graham, female version, you know, Billy Graham, and, or, or do something great, you know. You know, um, when I was, the day I was born, and I won't tell you what day it was, but you could probably work it out, was the day that Nate Saint and his and missionaries back in 1956, they were declared dead. They were, walked into South American forest and they were slaughtered. And that always impressed me. And I thought, if I, was to, if I was born the day that they were declared dead, then I was going to continue that. And I was going to be a missionary and walk into the jungles. And do so, you know, I, I took up teaching. And I thought, I'll be a teacher, get a teaching degree, and go to the, go to the world and save the world. And, and then I met my husband, and we got married. And, and he was a pastor who just wanted to stay at home and nurture the sheep. And so for many, many years, what I had, and I was happy about that. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that I married him. I'm so thankful that I married him. Otherwise, I might be out in the jungles anyway. But um, he kept me at home and kept me stable. But for many, many years, what I had, what God had put in my heart as a 12-year-old didn't match what I was doing. I'm here at church I'm shuffling papers, I'm doing, setting up programs, I'm working in the Bible school. I'm, and one day I realized when we were actually getting ready to set, to, to even do our um, campuses in Papua New Guinea, I realized that what God put in my heart was actually starting to come to pass. But it still wasn't as grand as what I'd seen in my heart when I was 12 years old. It wasn't quite as grand. 
How many of you have, have such grand visions in your heart, but you've never, and I don't put your hand up, but just judge for yourself. When you look at yourself, what God's put in you, isn't it bigger than what you're doing at the moment? I knew it's true. God puts something in you. Anyway, I've gone right, way ahead of myself. Just put a pause on that thought for a little while. We're going to have a look at the, the, third, the third point, the third heading I've got, is that when we work together, when we serve together, why do we serve together? You know, the interesting thing is if, if I had gone ahead and done what I had in my heart, I probably would have gone out by myself. Yeah, I would have gone out by myself. But there's a wonderful thing that God wants to happen in the body, and it's called a synergistic effect. Synergy. Not energy, it's actually synergy, which means when we come together, there is a power at work that's greater than just the sum of two parts. I have a definition here, and those of you that like big words will probably like this definition. It's the interaction of elements that when combined produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of the individual elements or contributions. In other words, when we talk about synergy, it's not one plus one equals two. It's not. In fact, it's one plus one equals a huge amount. There is far more to, that can be achieved when two people come together in agreement, working together, or three or four. The Bible talks about it clearly. It says one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 2,000 to flight. Is that right? No. One could put 1,000 to flight, two put 10,000 to flight. That's a synergistic effect. And God designed that for the body of Christ to be operating so that when we work together, what we can do together is greater than the sum of our individual parts. We read this real clearly in Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. Ephesians 3, next slide. And it says there, to apprehend with all the saints. I'm going to read it for you. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love, that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints. Isn't it interesting that you need to have power and be strong to apprehend or to grasp with all the saints? There are some things in God that you cannot get by yourself, and there are things in God you cannot do by yourself. The Bible's very clear that we're to apprehend or to grasp hold with all the saints, and that takes power. In fact, it takes power to work with people. It takes God's power to work with people. It does. We, we joke about it. We say ministry would be lots of fun if it weren't for the people. That's, that's funny, but it's not funny. Because it's true. Ministry is about people. And working together to achieve this synergistic effect, this powerful explosion of operation, takes power. 
Why does it take power? I need to have the power of God in work in my life so that I can overcome some of the quirks that my friends might have. Actually, yeah, you need power to overcome some of the quirks that I might have. It takes the power of God to work with another human being. But then when you do and you discover in your, in your fellow believer something of God, my goodness, that is a valuable treasure. And that's when that synergy starts to work. So it says there in Ephesians, I'll keep reading, it says that you may be strong to be able to grasp with all the saints um, the experience of that love. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of it? Do you know that you can experience a portion of God's love just when you're by yourself with him and got your worship music on and maybe watching a you know, YouTube or something like that. You can experience God's love, and it's wonderful. But to experience God's love with all the saints is amazing. Because when I have that power and I'm strong enough to apprehend and I can actually find in my brother and sister something of God, I find something of God's love that comes to me that I could never experience just with him. Because every single one in the body, every one of you carry a portion of God in you. And that is reflected, when it's reflected to me, I sense the presence and the power and the love of God in a much richer and a much broader capacity and, 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 and much greater dimension than I could if it was just me and God. God can't love me any more than he does. He loves me with an everlasting love, but his love is expressed to me through every single one of my brothers and sisters. And that takes strength, it takes grace, and it takes power, but it's absolutely possible. And when you have that kind of connection with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you work together with them, my goodness, you unlock the grace of God that is beyond comprehension. To do something alone with God, it's fun, but to do something with other Christians, oh, it's amazing. In fact, God made it to be that way. If you look in um, Ephesians 4, 16, it says, because of him, the whole body, the church in all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, when each part with power adapted to its need is working properly in all its functions, grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. Well, that's the amplified version. And how many of you got that in the first go? It's a bit difficult. It's complicated, that verse. We need to pull it apart. But I've done a little bit of a paraphrase on that, just to make it clearer. For because of Jesus, the whole body, the church in all its various parts, is closely joined and firmly knit together and is nourished by the efficient function of working connections. Nourished by the efficient function of working connections. This is how the body grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. Do you want to grow to full maturity in Christ? You can't do it outside of the body. 
And the best way to do it is functioning relationships, serving together, working together. You know, some years ago, I had an injury to my back and I went to the physiotherapist and I said, you know, when I walk, it actually really hurts. And he said, oh no, keep walking, keep walking. Because while ever you are moving your joints, your joints are nourishing your body. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Keep those connections working. And if it feels a little painful, push through. Keep the connections working because those connections is how the body is nourished and how the body grows to full maturity. Can you see why serving together, it's not just to get a job done. We don't want people to serve here just so that we've got a, a whiz-bang 316 event at the end of the year. That's a byproduct. The actual purpose is to get people functioning together. When you work with other Christians and you push past the friction, it's going to happen. You push past the friction and the pain and the, the quirky personalities and the funny ways of operating, push past and find in them the portion of God that they have. Connect with that and work with that. You'll find yourself nourished. And not only you be nourished, but the whole body is nourished when we're working together. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful because when you're part of something bigger than yourself, your own personal purpose and your own personal identity becomes really well established. Okay, number four, the reason we serve is for the glory of God. Um, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 10 says, when he comes to be glorified in his saints... On that day, he will be made more glorious in his consecrated people. And he will be marveled at and admired in his glory, reflected in all who have believed. Isn't that wonderful? When Jesus comes to take us home, you know, we sang it, when he shall come in shouts of acclamation and take us home, what joy shall fill our heart. But do you know what? The joy fills his heart too. Because when he comes to get us and we're functioning and working together, his glory is being made even more manifest. And it says it right there. When he comes, he will be made more glorious because of what's reflected in you. And you bring glory to his name. You bring glory to his name, not just by your worship and singing how great thou art. You bring glory to his name when you are functioning in your place, in the body, serving him and working for him. And his glory is made manifest in you. Okay. The, the number five I want to look at is our eternal destiny. The reason we serve. This really, for me, is probably the biggest reason. And you might say, okay, well, that's nice. You know, when we die and we go to heaven and we get there and Jesus says, well done, good and faithful service, you get, you get to wear a crown with some jewels in it. I mean, is that really worth it for a nice piece of headwear? All these painful years on earth to get some fancy crown? Do you know there's far more to it than that? Far more to it than that. You know, um, in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12 says that we are to live lives worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom. Now remember that kingdom is not just the church. God's kingdom will be forevermore. 
So outside of the confines of time and space, we live in this, in this realm of time and space, but his kingdom is greater than that and goes on into eternity. So we're to live lives worthy of God who calls us to his kingdom and the glorious blessedness unto which true believers will enter after Christ's return. So there is a glorious day when he comes back and, he, and we will be judged according to what we did, you know, according to our, how we served. Yeah, that's nice. But is it, really, is it really worth the effort? Is it worth the effort? I want to jump through, jump over to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 9. And that says there, what profit remains for the worker from his toil? I mean, you know, 90 years, maybe 100 if you're blessed of hard work, or maybe 70 years of hard work and a few years of retirement. What's really, what's it worth? What's worth for it? I mean, it's hard work. It's hard. Let's just face it. I thank God for the blessings and the benefits of salvation and, and we are victorious and, but every day, my goodness, I have to deal with this flesh and I have to deal with other people. Oh, sorry, other people's flesh. Okay, then verse 10 goes on to say, I have seen the painful labour and exertion and miserable business which God has given to the sons of men with which to exercise and busy themselves. Isn't that a depressing verse? I mean, you know, I've said it's miserable business, isn't it? When, how many of you think when, when I was born again, wouldn't it be nice, nice just to you know, go, go back straight away? You know, a lot of people think this is just miserable business. But if you can have a view for eternity, it changes the whole thing. Verse 11, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, it says... He has made everything beautiful in its time. Remember I said to you that we live in the realm of time and space. We live in the confines of time. And you know, so many things that happen to you in your life and the road that you track with God in your life in this period of time doesn't often match up with what you see in your heart. You know, I'm, I'm heading on the downward track. I know it's hard to believe it looking at me, but I've got my days on this earth, I have lived most of them. And the days yet to come are fewer than the days I've already lived. That's pretty sobering. Because I think back to when I was 12, like it was yesterday, God put something so big in my heart, and I don't know that my life actually matches what I saw. How many of you can sort of relate to that? Don't put your hand up. <laughs> Maybe put your hand up if you want to. Whether you're under 50 or over 50, what you're living, does it actually match that eternity that he put in your heart? That vision that he put in your heart? So he says there, but he makes everything beautiful in its time. It's interesting that the threads of your life Every season you go through, God is able to take those threads and weave them together so that your life becomes something beautiful. Like a tapestry. Your life is like a tapestry. Some threads are gloriously gold. Some threads are dark. 
Some threads are light, some threads are richly colored, but all of it gets woven together. And God has promised that he will make everything beautiful in time. All right? But when time comes to an end, look what it says there. He also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. He's put eternity into your heart. You know, as I said, Pastor Tony said weeks ago that when you get born again, he puts the assignment in your heart. I'll let you in on a little secret, and I believe this with all my heart. What he puts in your heart is not necessarily to be only accomplished in this period of time. There is a whole dispensation coming which is called the millennial reign, when Jesus comes again to establish his kingdom on earth. And he's looking for servants who have proven themselves to be faithful. Because when he comes, he's going to be giving out purposes and, and um, tasks and assignments that are greater than what we could ever achieve here on this earth in this time. I want you to ponder on that. Because I asked the Lord that question. I said, Lord, it doesn't match what I'm doing, and I don't know that I'll ever do on this earth what I saw in my heart. And the Lord said, that's because it's not for this time alone. Now, if we go back, you think, well, that sounds a little weird. That sounds a little bit out there. But I want you to go back to, go to Matthew 25, 21. Jesus told two parables, one in Matthew, one in Luke. The one in Matthew, he gave talents to um, his servants. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to one he gave one. And when, he, when the master, oh, Jesus didn't, he gave the parable about the master. Did I say that? Yeah. The master, he went away. And when the master came back, he said to his servants, what have you done with the talents that I've given you? And the one who'd had five talents had made five talents more. And the one who'd had two talents made two talents more. The one who had one talent, and a seemingly insignificant resource or a seemingly insignificant assignment. And the master was not pleased with him at all. Even though that person, that servant, knew that the master was a tough master and knew that he, he'd want something, but out of fear, he did nothing. He did nothing except bury that talent in the ground. But when that master came back, this is what the master said to those who'd increased or actually taken what they were given and used it. He said to them, well done, you upright, honorable, admirable, and faithful servant. You have been faithful and trustworthy over a little. I will put you in charge of much. You know, that's a principle of the kingdom. When you are faithful over what he's put in your hand, then he will make you ruler or over much. And it is not before he comes it's actually when the master comes back. And when Jesus comes back, he will say, I gave you something in your hand. What did you do with it? 
You know, Pastor Patsy said a couple of weeks ago something that stuck with me. She said, you don't always get to do what's in your heart. And I thought, oh, really? She said, but you always get to do what's in your hand. And that stuck with me because I thought, what's in my hand? You know, I've seen Christians who, you know, we've asked them, um, would you do this or do that? You know, for, in for instance, be on the catering team and make food and stuff. And, and they might say, well, look, you know, that doesn't match what's in my heart because God's called me to preach the gospel and, and to make an impact so I won't be doing catering. You don't always do get to do what's in your heart, but you always get to do what's in your hand. And when you're given something, and even insignificant, seems insignificant, and use it and do it, God will bless you. Again, in, in Luke 19, verse 17, there was the story then about the, the master that left um, a, a unit of exchange, a mina. It, it, has, it says in my Bible, 10 minas for 10 servants. And when the master came back and he saw that some people had made money on, their, on the money and some had not done anything with it, again, he says, well done to those that had made, had made good on it. He said, well done, you're a good servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I'll put you in charge of 10 cities. Now, I'm telling you, I don't think I'd ever be in charge of 10 cities this side of eternity. But if I take what's in my hand and use it and do it, there it is. He says he'll put me in charge of 10 cities. There's so much more to be done. You know, heaven's not just this place where we sit around in cl on clouds and play harps. How boring would that be? Heaven's a place of real work. Heaven's a place of real work. And what we do here on earth is a trial run. It's just a trial run. Because he's put eternity in our hearts. And what we've got to do here on earth may not always match what's in our heart. But we can always be faithful with what's in our hand. Isn't that the truth? I tell you, that gave me such liberty and encouragement. I was so thrilled because so many times I've said to God, what was happening with me when I was 12? Was I just you know, naive, ignorant? young, immature, the Lord said, no, I put that in your heart. I put eternity in your heart. And so when I was praying about what to do today, I really sensed that, and it's not just for those of you that are over 50 or over 60 and, and judging your life and saying, well, you know, my life doesn't match up what I saw in my, life, in my heart when I was young. It's for all of us. He puts eternity in your heart. But he puts tasks and talents in your hands. Praise the Lord. So I want to read out of Matthew 25, 31. What is it that's in our, in our hand? You might have in your heart great ministry. You might say, well, you know, I'm called to preach. I'm called to go to the, to the nations of the world, preach the gospel, do miracles, teach the body of Christ. I've got all this understanding and wisdom and revelation. I need to be able to give out to people. But you know, that's not really what pleases God. Let's have a look in Matthew 25. And bear in mind that when, when Jesus was talking about this, starting in verse 31, and it's not going to be up on the screen, I just want you to listen to it. He was talking about the talents and when the master came back. 
And then in verse 31, he says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And this is a real event, people. This is a real, this is not just some metaphoric thing that, you know, might happen in, no, this is really going to happen. Jesus is coming back to establish his throne on the earth. And it says, all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a sheep, a shepherd separates his, the sheep from the goats. And he will cause the sheep to stand at his right hand, but the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, you favored of God and appointed to eternal salvation. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is not inheriting salvation. That's been given to us. But we do inherit the kingdom. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you brought me together with yourselves and welcomed and entertained and lodged me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me with help and ministering care. I was in prison and you came to see me. Then the just and the upright will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcomed and entertained you or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or come to visit you? And the king will reply to them, truly I tell you, in so far as you did it for one of the least of my brethren, you did it for me. You know, serving the Lord, serving him is not about my ministry, my calling. It's, it's, a, it's a response, a reasonable response to what God has given us in Christ Jesus. He saved us and he called us with a holy calling. He saved us and he called us to be his servants. And there's no greater place in the kingdom of God than to take the place of a servant to serve the Lord. And when we do that, all glory is given to him. You know, the Apostle Paul said that let this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he laid down his life and he came to earth as a servant. And that would have been nice if he'd left it just there. But then it says, but he humbled himself even further to the death of the cross. And there is a humbling that needs to take place that, that I need to do every day. And that is to lay down my ambitions and my desires and my comforts, my own flesh, and humble myself further. Because the Apostle Paul did that, and he said that that death that was in, at work in him is what worked life into other people. The death that he did every day submitted himself to death. Not just physical death, but that death in his soul where his own flesh desires were nothing. 
and he laid himself down every day so that life could be at work for others. That's a challenge to me, personally. But I know that if I really want to, at the end of my life, have Jesus stand before me and say, well done, good and faithful servant, that I need to be that good and faithful servant. It's a bit sobering, but I'm telling you, on that glorious day when he comes and he says, good and faithful servant, it will be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. So serving together is not just about achieving yourself. It's about connecting with the body. It's about apprehending with all the saints. It's about bringing glory to God. It's about serving a higher purpose. And it's about loving him in response to what he's done. So we're going to finish up here. And thank you for being so patient. And um, I trust that the Lord will help us. I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you for the truth that's in your word. And I ask you today that whatever truth is necessary for each and every person here today, that they will know the truth and the truth will make them free. That we will be set free from the bondage of serving other people and be brought into the liberty of serving you, Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. And today, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, who's felt the bondage of serving other people or serving their own desires, today you can lay down your life and find your life simply by saying, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord. So let's all pray that together. Jesus, we thank you that you are our Lord. And today we remind ourselves that you took our sin and our emptiness and you filled us with yourself. I thank you for that and receive you today, Jesus, as my Lord. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.